Hello and welcome to October's edition of Moot Points. We're recording this episode two days after the tragic killing of Sir David Amos MP in front of his staff and members of his constituency during his surgery in Leoncy on Friday. He was doing his job. He was helping people when he was brutally stabbed to death. His death has since been declared a terrorist incident by the Met Police. Many tributes since have emphasised his diligence, his kindness and his skill at his job as a constituency MP representing the people of South and West in Parliament. He did so for nearly 40 years, having been first elected in 1983. He was one of the longest serving MPs in the House. He was perhaps most famous for his repeated requests in the House of Commons for South End to receive city status. Today, I'm joined by Liberal Democrat Councillor Matthew Holbert from Barwell Parish Council in Leicestershire. Matthew, obviously, like the murder of Joe Cox in 2016, this news has shook British politics to its core. Um, Where were you when you heard the news and how did you react? So I was, um, I'd just come back home after actually being um, at a school, not in Hinkley and Bosworth, but but just outside of, of Hinkley and Bosworth in Blaby constituency, um, where a friend of mine is one of the teachers, um, and she'd invited me to go in and, and speak about LGBT plus rights and my work as, as an advocate for um, LGBT plus uh, people and, and our rights and equality. And I'd just actually got home from that uh, when I saw the news. and But it's one of those things where you think, well, that, that can't be right. Let me just see if all the news sources are, you know, are, are talking about this. And then, of course, you realise that the horror comes upon you that this has actually happened and that an MP has again been attacked um, at their constituency surgery. Um, and then it was just following the news, kind of praying that he he'd pull through. And then, obviously, hearing the the devastating news that that he died. And I think I think it affects you on a number of levels. You are devastated, obviously, for for, for him and for his family and for his staff members and for his party colleagues. But you're also devastated on another level for democracy itself, because actually, an attack on an elected representative at any level who is going about doing their job, their role, um, is really an an attack on our democratic way of life. And and so I think it's devastating to a number of levels. Yes, I I agree with that. Um, I was just doing some work at my desk and uh, a notification came through on my phone that a stabbing has happened at, at a surgery. And I just thought, naturally... Thought it was somebody else, not the actual MP who was who was mm. wounded, and uh, to be honest, didn't think much of it. But then, a couple of hours later, I had another look and, and thought, "Wow, this is a huge event." Um, as you've just mentioned, you yourself carry out plenty of public visits and functions in your local area. Um, despite Barwell being a relatively small place filled with friendly people, have you thought about when you've been out and about at all? Yes, I absolutely have. And especially when, so um, I should explain that I I was a borough and a parish councillor 2011 to 2015. 
lost both seats in 2015 in what was a you know a, tr- a dreadful year for Liberal Democrats up and down the country. Lots of seats uh, lost um, by by Lib Dems in that year, and then I regained my parish seat in in 2019. But during the time I was on the borough council, and I should say it was then and is now a Lib Dem led borough, borough council. Um, we had a, a really difficult decision in terms of our housing uh, land supply, and we um, agreed to, albeit you know reluctantly, but we just ha- had to do it for our housing land supply um, to two thousand five hundred new houses for uh, Barwell being built on green built land, green belt land. Well, as you can imagine, this was hugely unpopular with uh, a great number of my fellow villagers and residents. And even though I tried to explain, look, you know, government sets the housing land supply, um, you know, Bowl needs new housing, it needs affordable housing, it's going to come with all of this infrastructure. It, it was nonetheless um, hugely unpopular. Now, most people, um, as you'd expect, although they disagreed with my stance on it um, and, you know, would, would tell me in pretty, in pretty strong terms, they were always respectful and they realised that I was just doing my role and that we'd have to agree to disagree and that, you know, if they really didn't like it, they could chop me out at the, you know, at the next election. There were one or two people, and I do stress only one or two, who made it hugely personal as if, you know, it was my sole responsibility. Um, and there was once, or, I never felt physically in danger, but there was once or twice where... Um, you know, I was called some pretty not very nice words and names in the street. Mm. Um, and, and when you think to yourself, gosh, you know, this is a village in which I've always lived, um, which I now represent, have the honour to represent on, on the council. The, these are my friends and neighbours. Um, and, you know, one, one or two of them have, uh, have uh, disagreed with me that much on a policy issue that, that they have felt it... Um, reasonable or understandable to be absolutely vile to me um in, in the street and you, you do have to think gosh uh, you know this is not how politics should be um and so you know I, i've never felt physically uh, under threat but there's no doubt that and especially more so now even more than you know six or seven years ago or whatever uh, there's a great polarization in our politics and you know if, if people can't disagree agreeably there's nothing this is built on different parties different ideologies different philosophies different points of view and that's absolutely um you know if we all agreed we wouldn't have a we wouldn't have a democracy of course it's important that there's disagreement but it's how you disagree and and the fact that you can disagree with a policy you can disagree with a party but what you shouldn't do is make it personal against a person or a group of people, um, and, and almost that they become like the devil incarnate in your uh, view. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that was the one and only time, and thankfully it was only one or two, less than a handful of occasions. But there were the, there were those occasions who, because of a political stance that myself and my party and the council had taken, people felt it okay to have a go at me in the street. And you're also active, really active on social media. Um, obviously, um, a very effective way for politicians to communicate in the 21st century. Um, 
as you've just mentioned, you've been shouted in the streets. Have you been abused on social media too much or has that not been much of a problem for you? Not in terms of, you know, by, by um, friends or neighbours or villagers here, here in Barl, but in terms of obviously, you know, on social media, you, you people interact with you who are from elsewhere in the in the country. And yeah, I mean, you know, again, I've had my fair share of criticism for um, stances that I've taken. So, for example, and you know, it's really sad that this is the case, but um, whenever I put any, so I'm an LGBT plus rights campaigner, as I say, and very, very prolific in terms of that it's something that I'm very passionate about um and whenever I put something out that is um pro-trans so pro um the rights of um transgender people to you know live their fullest lives to be their truest selves to to transition um from the from the the gender that, that they were assigned at birth to what their 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 brain and their heart and their souls their soul tells them that they are when I put something out that I think it, that I think and that in fact is entirely reasonable entirely positive in support of um, them living their truest lives I will always get a whole host of people that don't think that they should be have their equality and be allowed to be who they really are absolutely flood my uh, Twitter account now um Sometimes I'll sit and just go through and try and block them all, but sometimes I think, well, I'm wasting my life doing that, you know, just carry on. Um, but I notice sometimes when, I'm, when I go through their profiles that quite often it's people with a handful of followers or, you know. Um, so you do kind of think, well, am I just wasting my time trying to block these people, just mm. ignore them? And they certainly won't stop me from carrying on and doing that. But you do just think often, you see, I, I'm a bit conflicted in terms of, whether you should be able to be anonymous on Twitter, because I absolutely appreciate that in, in certain countries, uh, Iran, North Korea, etc., China, um, to, to force people to go public with their, their photo and their real name and real life details um, on Twitter would put them in danger. And so I, I'm a bit conflicted, but I do think that Twitter itself should have to know who you really are and your contact details so that if you go beyond the pale on twitter they have an ability to be able to block you from suspend you or block you from being able to use the the platform um and the same goes obviously on facebook and, and all the rest of it um so i think again i'm conflicted on social media because at its best it's fantastic and it's opened up so many opportunities for me. We wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be, I want to virtually met you, Adam, and we wouldn't be doing this, this podcast. Of course, for, yeah. But for Twitter. But at its worst, it's an absolute cesspit of bile and hatred and, again, people um, disagreeing in the most horrendous of ways. Um, and... I do think there needs to be some kind of regulation, probably, actually. Um, but it, it's that thing where, you know, you don't want to stifle free speech per se. But I've always been of the belief that actually there is an absolute free speech. We are, And neither should there be in, in actual. Now, you may say you're a liberal. How can you say there shouldn't be free speech? We, we all have to live under laws about what about what is considered acceptable by society. Sometimes those laws need updating. You know, for a long time, 
Um, you know, there was Section 28 and all of that, and teachers couldn't even mention the fact that homosexuals existed and all. And 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 of course, that was a nonsense. So so the law isn't always as up to date as it should be, but we all live within a parameter, a framework of law. Um, ab about what is reasonable in society to say um, but I think within that we're all pretty free to say pretty much what we think but then it's our responsibility to uh, you know as I was saying earlier on not make things so personal about um, about people we, we can have different philosophies we can have different ideologies we can have different points of view different world views without it being us versus them and you're either with us or you're against us mm -hmm. I think there's some very good points there and um, the verification process for the blue tick on Twitter, for an example, you have to upload some sort of ID and uh, some sort of proof overall that you're a real person. Mm. That could be a driving license or a passport or something as simple as a credit card or a national ID uh, card. That, that could be quite effective, um, as you say. Um, do you believe that um, there should be more protections in place for national and local public servants? We shouldn't forget local public servants. Um, as Priti Patel has just announced uh, a review by the Metropolitan Police into this. Or do you think that risks an extra layer of isolation that would do more harm than good? I, 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 I worry about... Um, you know, a knee-jerk reaction to what has happened, but but it, what's happened cannot be any more serious than it is. I mean, for 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 a second time in five or six years, um, a member of parliament has been killed um, doing their job, meeting their constituents, and um, you know, it couldn't be more horrifying than it is. So we do need to look seriously at what now happens. But equally, you know, as, as Ian Dell and, and other people have, have said over uh, over the past couple of days, unless we're going to say that, you know, people can, MPs can only meet constituents kind of online, um, or unless we're going to have some kind of, you know, huge kind of barrier between the, the MP and the constituent, I'm not sure, neither of which seem like very attractive options, you know, to me. I'm, I'm not mm. sure a great deal of what can be done. I mean, one thing that I was a bit surprised uh, about was that I just, I must admit, it's a long term, time since I've actually been to an MP constituency surgery. And, and I just assumed, especially after the Joe Cox murder, that there would always be at least one police officer um, in attendance. And apparently that's not the case. Apparently it is just the MP and you know one or two of their staff and um although of course most most people would never consider in any sense uh, um harming or attacking their elected representative uh, there are people on i don't quite know how to put it but perhaps on the fringes um of, of society or people who have who have you know very serious uh, mental health issues that, that that need to be addressed um, or, or that have um, you know, very kind of extreme ideology or, 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 or whatever, or a mixture thereof, who you can't just rely on to act in a way that most people would consider, you know, appropriate. Um, and so you would have thought that at the very least there'd be a police officer in attendance. But as I say, apparently that is not the case at most, most MP surgeries. Now, um, in, in actual fact, on Friday evening, I was due to... Um, and 
did end up going, I thought the event might be cancelled, but it wasn't, to be at an event where parish councillors and others had been invited to um, go and see our Member of Parliament here in Bosworth, who is currently a guy called Dr Luke Evans, um, mm. um, in regards to his views and the, the government's actions on kind of climate change and environment and all of that. Um, and it had been you know, pre-arranged for, for quite a few weeks. And um, I got in touch with my parish, uh, parish clerk, who I was due to be... Um, going with and, and said well surely this won't now happen she said well I don't know she said let me send an email anyway it, it, it did go ahead but whereas it had been due to go ahead you know without any kind of police presence there there was um, I think three police officers there uh, which obviously we all understood and and quite right too um, and you know I made the point I got to ask a question and I made you know, you know I said to Luke Evans and obviously Luke Evans is a conservative and I'm a liberal democrat and you know I would have preferred that the liberal democrat candidate had been elected you know to, to be the member of parliament but, but the fact is I respect the fact that Luke Evans was elected and that he is the MP um, and that we're able to disagree in, in an agreeable way and I just thanked him for going ahead with them with the meeting I felt symbolically it was really important mm-hmm. actually and it felt um, you know, although we had the meeting and it was talking about what it was talking about, it felt quite profound to be there actually on that day, being able to be physically in the same presence as the Member of Parliament uh, and ask him in a fair but robust way about a, a, a really important issue. Um, and that's what we must be able to do. So I do hope that, that there isn't a knee-jerk reaction, but surely a reaction there must be. I don't think we can have had this happen twice in round about half a decade and not have a really serious reflection about what we do now as a, as a society. And also I think Adam as well, we also need to reflect on, as, as I've said earlier on the discourse that we have both online and offline and in the media where, where again, it's, it's, um, I don't want to single out media companies, but I'm, I guess I am thinking of the likes of GB News and and, and Talk Radio and others, where where it, it just seems the whole debate seems to be framed in us versus them, um, and you either agree with us and you're against and and you're and you're very kind of anti PC and and um, all this culture war stuff, or or you're or we don't want to know you and we don't want to talk to you and and we don't want to to act in a way that's civil. Um, and so I think we need to reflect on our whole debate as a society um, and determine to, yes, we can have very, I'm all for robust debate. And, you know, during my years on the Borough Council, um, you know, I used to have a good old go at the Tory opposition and they used to have a good old, good old, good old go at me. And, 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 and that was fine because that's democracy. So I'm not saying we should all be, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have robust debate and that we shouldn't have, argument and that it shouldn't be um serious and have strong points made to each other but it shouldn't be personal and we should always remember that the other person is a human being with 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 families and um with feelings um and i just worry that some of our discourse has forgotten that i i think it would be a real shame if if we lost that closeness that trust that personable feeling between an MP and their constituents. It's, it's, it's a really distinctly British thing. You don't get mm. it in other democracies like France or the US. Um, and as far as I'm aware, it's very individual with regards to the arrangements that MPs have for their surgeries. 
Um, mm. Some may have police officers there. Some may think it's overkill. Mm. Um, I'm guessing that in the future after this, there'll be more who choose to have police officers outside, maybe even to have their, their surgeries on Zoom, and that would be a real shame. Mm. Um, David, Sir David, was particularly open, of course, and uh, it was particularly poignant that uh, his last tweet, his pinned tweet on his profile, was advertising his, his surgery mm. at the church, not at his office, so to be more accessible to his constituents. Um, and I think it will be remembered as, as that. Going to your role in particular, Matthew, um, could you remind us uh, of what a parish councillor does and what the parish council's function is? Yeah, and and I think people often have don't you know don't quite well. I think people are often um, because it's not in our you know um, political education etc at school don't necessarily understand you know the different the different levels of, of government and uh, and who does what. Um, and I think often. Parish councils are sometimes because you know you have the incident like the the whole what I call the Jackie Weaver thing you know the 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 parish council where people were behaving pretty badly and uh, and all of that I I think often yes, people I was, don't... I was going to ask yeah. you about that because um they wanted to change their name from a parish council to I think it was something like an area council um so as not to provoke a, a vicar of Dibley image mm. what, what do you think about that yeah and and that's the interesting thing is that. Uh, and I mean, I don't. I mean, I love the Vicar of Dibley. I thought it was a brilliant series. But one thing that it didn't kind of get factually correct is that it seemed to, for the purposes of the storyline, it seemed to merge what was actually a church, a kind of parochial church council about the running of the church, um, with what would have been the role of the local parish council, which was a political, you know, um, organisation. Um, uh, and so they'd have church parish councillors deciding on planning. Well, number one, parish level doesn't even decide on planning. So that, so, so I mean, they took a bit of artistic liberty with with how they did that. But I think one of the negative things from that was that people thought that um, you know parish councils were all kind of what you might call country bumpkins, like Jim Trot and, and Owen Newitt and all the rest of it. And of course, actually, a lot of us certainly are not like that. We're we're dedicated volunteers who want to do the best for our villages and towns um and you know i always say it's the most local level of government um and you talk about being near to the to your constituents or residents you know you don't get any nearer than be um, in your village and town serving um your friends and neighbors um and I consider it a really great privilege. I mean, you know, it was a very great privilege to be on the borough council. Of course, it was. That's a principal local uh, authority. But it, uh, um, it's been a, a real privilege to, for four years previously, and then for the past uh, two years, to be on Bowl Parish Council. Um, and you can make, you can affect real change um, at the most local level. So, to give you an example, I was determined when I was re-elected to the parish council in 2019 um and it's a kind of lib dem led parish council lib dem chair and then myself as vice chair that um one of the things that i wanted to do was to um if i could get the agreement of the council to 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 fund two youth workers for Barwell to do detached youth work because we have a lot of teenagers kind of 
you know, hanging around um, uh, of an evening and not necessarily with a great deal to do and not necessarily having the most positive of, of influences. And um, it took me two years from 2019 to um, a few months ago to get the agreement of, of the council um, for various um, reasons, including, you know, how much it would cost and all the rest of it. Um, but I got the agreement of the council um, and, um, you know, we funded two detached youth workers for a couple of hours um, once a week. I would have liked it to be more often than that. But there you are sometimes in politics. You have to do what's doable and, and, and not what you'd like, ideally. Um, but they're already making a big impact and interacting with the young people and, you know, hopefully changing their lives in, in, in a positive way. And so you, you really can get stuff done at the most local level as a parish councillor. And, and again, I do think with some uh, politicos that, that that they rather kind of are a bit dismissive about parish councils. Now, I want to be an MP or I want to be a county councillor or, or a principal authority councillor. And, and that's entirely kind of noble, laudable aims. But actually... Being on a parish council is, is, a, is a good place to start and to kind of learn your trade as a, a as a public servant. And, you know, you can really get things done on behalf of your friends and neighbours. And, you know, uh, you know the, the evening where I finally got the youth worker thing through um, the council and we're kind of a, although we're uh, Lib Dem led in terms of the chair and vice chair, it's a very balanced council between Lib Dems and Conservatives and we needed the agreement of Conservatives to get that through um, and you know I made the argument and we agreed on um, how much it was going to cost and all of that and, and the whole council agreed and actually I went home with a real sense of achievement that I fought that fight for two years and got it through and as a result of that youth workers are now doing their bit in Bala. That sounds incredibly fulfilling uh, was making that difference locally your primary objective when you were first elected did that inspire you to stand first yeah it absolutely did and you know um my village has i think for too long been i certainly thought at the time had been kind of starved of investment um and that's one of the reasons actually that i backed the housing development the very controversial housing development that i was talking about earlier on was that you know, the, the the promise was was that it was going to come with um, all of this investment and inf new infrastructure into Barwell, which I thought was um, in, important. Now, you know, let, let's just be honest. In when for a lot of people, when you go into politics, I don't know about uh, Sir David Amos, who who seemed um, very altruistic. I have to say, in his um, in his wanting to be an MP, which of course is is fantastic. But there is a there is a mixture of wanting to do right by your area and your residents, and and also ambition too. I mean, you know, would it have been nice for um, it hasn't happened to me thus far, but would it have been nice, for example, to um, live with the borough council and, and and be able to make a real difference in that sense? Yes, of course it would. Um, but it has to be about, I don't think there's anything wrong to use a Tony Blair phrase here about um, when Gordon Brown wanted to be um, uh, prime minister. Tony Blair said it's not an ignoble ambition to want to be prime minister. That's a perfectly mm. laudable um, thing. And it's not an ignoble position to want to be in a cabinet, be it local or national. Um, we need people to be ambitious for their areas and for their constituents uh, as well as for themselves. So there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you, as long as you don't ever forget that you are there by the good grace and by the votes of your residents, and you're not more important than them. And and you know, being on TV and radio sometimes is all well and good, and it you know it helps the old ego. But actually, that's not what it's about. What it's about is 
serving your residents and making a difference in your area. If, if that isn't your motivation, then I think you, you really shouldn't be in politics. Mm. And you mentioned the, the green belt land developments there for Warwell because they're in need of extra homes. Um, would this sort of contracts contrasts with my understanding of the Liberal Democrats' national policy yeah. of going against building on green land, particularly in the south. Um, do you think that the government's U-turn of, of that policy in revitalising or revolutionising the, the planning uh, laws, do you think that will harm Liberal Democrats' uh, electoral fortunes in the future? I mean, I must admit, you know, um, was I, although I was in favour of the of the house, and by the way, the the, the houses are still yet to be to be built in Barwell because um, yes, we, we we've had for further years of, um, albeit I'm not on the borough now, so I'm not part of this, but um, they still haven't got the absolute final um, uh, agreement for it for it to go. So whether the whether the houses will end up ever being built, I don't know. Um, but but although I wanted. Although I felt the houses were needed and that the infrastructure certainly that went uh, along with it was was needed, um, did I like the fact that it was going to be on green belt land? You know, no, I didn't. Um, but equally, I was pragmatic enough to realise that we, we have all all of this green belt, and I just don't think it's whether people like it or not. I just don't think it's realistic. Absolutely, all of it is going to forever remain green belt when we have such a rising population, I think we've just got to accept that some of the Greenbelt land that yet we've all loved and, and cherished down the years is going to be needed for the, for the building of development. And so I, I have a little bit of a, of a problem with my, with my party on that. And I kind of felt actually that the, although I was pleased, very pleased to see that we won the, the Chesham and Amersham by-election and, you know, I know Sarah Green and, and, and she's making a, a fantastic MP as I knew she would. There was a little bit of nimbyism in that campaign. You know, we, we need new houses. Oh, but not these new houses. Um, and, you know, we, we agree development. We support developments in general, but just not these developments. And uh, I, knew, I mean, you know, it helped to win them that election. And I guess you do what you need to do to win. But um, I, it's not a campaign that I would run. Let's put it that way. And more widely, would you say that the days of Liberal Democrats governments nationally are over or at least paused do you think of yourselves as uh, a party of more broadly of local government these days no i don't i don't think we should ever think that and i think the moment we do think that we we cease to 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 be serious as a, as a national political party and i mean all i would say is that yeah it's very rare that we are in uk-wide government and the 2010 to 15 coalition was obviously a bit of an aberration in the past 50 years or so in in the uk but i would remind you that we now have devolved governments and that actually having lived in ministers in the devolved administrations mm. um, certainly in, obviously in wales and scotland we don't we don't uh, uh, stand in northern ireland um certainly in wales and scotland we, there's regularly been um, Lib Dem ministers, uh, even if we don't have that many kind of elected representatives in Parliament, the numbers can still work out that the Lib Dem ends up um, as a minister. So, for example, um, in Wales, um, Kirsty Williams was the own, was the sole um, Lib Dem member of the of the Senate, and yet um, the numbers worked out that Labour invited her to be the Education Minister, which she was from 2016 until earlier this year. So, I mean, I, you know, I think we. Um, are, are in a position we're, we're a natural um, coalition ally if I can put it that way for either of the two main parties now you know I prefer it I happen to prefer it when we're in coalition with with Labour I think it more naturally suits us I, I found the coalition years with the Conservatives 
difficult. But equally, I think they were absolutely right to enter government. And um, I just didn't agree with all of the stuff that was necessarily done by ministers in that government. Um, but I think Lib Dem is a natural coalition partners. And I absolutely, you know, the, the SNP have a great dominance that isn't set to, to end any time soon. But one day they will be turfed out that, you know, just by sheer force of years, they will be turfed out of, of government. And I think we probably could expect... Um, at some point then to see an administration that does involve Liberal Democrats uh, in it. Um, and, and in Wales, I mean, uh, I know that um, Jane Dodds decided, um, so she is again, she's the leader of the Welsh Lib Dems and she's again the only Lib Dem in the Welsh uh, Parliament at, uh, at the moment. Now she's decided as a very new member of the Welsh Parliament that um, she needs to find her feet and, and, you know, in that role and not be part of talks with government. But actually I know Labour had been interested before she said that in talking to her and so you know we we could have potentially have had a, another welsh um government minister again so i think the moment the lib dems stop talking about ourselves as a force absolutely in local government yes as we always are we we run a, a many many councils up and down the country and that is absolutely important but the moment we stop talking about ourselves as a, as a serious important national player for government we might as well give up and pack up and go home Mm. At the end of the day, it's it's all parties' aim, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as you've mentioned, um, you are a very prominent LGBT campaigner. Um, how do you think the political system, this is a very big question, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, how do you think the national and local political system can attract more LGBT plus public servants to put themselves forward for election? And why do you think that's so important? I think it's vitally important, but... It, but... Um, looking at the whole environment at the moment, and this goes back to a little bit what we were saying earlier on about our public discourse and and not being able to disagree in a way that is agreeable and recognises the humanity of the other person, um, is, you know, if I was new into politics today, if I was years younger or, or whatever, would I, would I, so eagerly want to be involved in politics now as, as, a, as an out and proud LGBT plus person given the toxicity of much of the debate i'm not sure that i would and i think that's a really really sad mm. thing because we, we need um a diversity um in our elected representatives at every single level of of government and i think it i think it's sad that i would pause for thought about that um if i was new to politics uh now um and i was saying to someone just i was a, a stall in Hinkley yesterday marking National Hate Crime Awareness Week. And um, and sadly, there are, you know, hate crimes have been on the rise against um, LGBT plus people um, over the past couple of years. And I just, I, for the life of me, will never understand the motivation of someone to think that just because someone is different to them, um, that, that that means... Um, you know, from their perspective, you know, I, I, I think I'm in my right to call you whatever or to attack you or do whatever. Um, we're, we're all different <laughs> to an extent. You know, we are, we are all different. It's what diversity is our strength um, uh, as the human race. Um, and I, I think, you know, if we're all absolutely the same, what a boring world it would be. Um, and... So, it, to be honest, Adam, it, it just leaves me just, you know, holding my head in my hands sometimes when I see the public discourse, mm -hmm. and especially around 
um i mean yeah you know there's still there's still homophobia and all of that and, and it's absolutely horrendous and and we should always kind of fight against it but especially for trans people today i mean the debate is absolutely toxic and there is um a a, a strong and vociferous and well organized lobby against the rights of trans people um and the way i always put it is this imagine uh, and I say this, you know, someone who's not a trans person, I'm, I'm a cisgender male. So um, what that means is, is that the, the agenda that I, I was assigned at birth is the agenda that I think I am, if, if that makes sense. So, I, so I, I was born a male and I think I'm a male. Right. OK. So but so I'm not a trans person, but I've spoken to enough trans people to know that. I mean, it, you know, imagine getting to an age and realizing that the body you were born into and the gender you were assigned at birth is not what you know through your heart and your soul and your mind what you are um that you're actually the other gender um and and um and and then having to go through that process and then having to tell your family and then having to go through all the 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 the, the long process to to transitioning uh, it, that is enough of a thing to have to go through as a human being without all the absolute nonsense that is taught by um, opponents of, 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 of trans people. Um, it, it's like, you know, it's like kicking people when they're down. You know, I, I don't know mm -hmm. why add, adding to their, to what they're already having, having to face as someone who's come to this realisation, having to go through the process of tran transitioning. Um, and I just don't know why you would act in, act in that way. Um, and so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never understand it. But all we can do is be there for trans people. And again, something that I always say is that if you look back to the Stonewall riots um, in America in the 60s, the, the great campaign for the great kind of beginning of the campaign, the modern campaign for rights for, for gay people, um, the people leading and at the, literally at the front of, of those protests were, were trans women and were black trans women. Um, and they were there for gay people then, and we, you know, those of us who are who are gay, need to be there for trans people uh, now. Um, and as I said earlier on, whenever I put out anything pro-trans on on Twitter, I get it. I get a heap of um, uh, abuse, but I now just don't look at it. Um, and um, they certainly won't won't silence me. I mean, I think I, I again have this this phrase, Adam, that I often use, which is "none are equal until all are equal." So even though you know. I as a gay man now I'm pretty much equal under the law. I won't feel as if I am until everyone that's within the banner of LGBT plus is feels safe and secure and is able to be um, who they are. And we're a long way off from that. Thank you very much for your time, Matthew. It was very insightful to speak to you and we hope to have you on again soon. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next month and more information regarding this will appear on our Twitter and Facebook pages as usual. So Keep an eye out, uh, but it's goodbye for now. Goodbye. Great. Thanks. Thanks very much for that, Matthew. Is that, is that and, okay? Uh, yeah, that's great. I'll get that edited and uh, I'll get that up. But thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck with your 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 endeavours and your policies. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. 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 -bye.